2: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of New Books in Japanese Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I am Jingyi Lee from the University of Arizona. Joining us today are Professors Elizabeth Euler from the University of Pittsburgh and Catherine Saltzman-Lee from UC Santa Barbara, two experts on pre-modern Japanese literature and theater. Their new edited volume, Cultural Imprints, War and Memory in the Samurai Age was recently published by Cornell University Press. This volume draws from fields of literature, artifacts, performing arts, and historical documents to examine how warfare was viewed by various groups of people. So welcome, Elizabeth and Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. So, can you tell us um, what your research focuses on, and how did you begin working on this volume together? I guess we can start with Elizabeth first.
2: Actually, I think I'm going to hand this over to Catherine, who um, really is the 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 heart of this this uh, this project.
0: Well, I'm not the heart of the project, but um, I originally organized a conference um, that. Was called "War and Remembrance: Cultural Imprints of Japan's Samurai Age," and the idea of the conference was to explore uh, that the idea that in wartime or peacetime, um, over the seven centuries during which samurai ruled, um, that the workings of memory, especially ideas about the samurai, were central to the cultural development and cultural production um, in Japan, and the the concept of cultural imprints was in there. And um, Elizabeth was a major participant in that conference. And out of that, she and I decided to do the volume. Um, it, many of the people who were in the original conference have participated in the volume. But we also uh, had many discussions about who to add and uh, where we had a, a couple spaces or a few spaces to add to um for people who we thought were, their work was especially relevant um, as a result of discussions in the conference uh, and after the conference. So that was uh, the inception. Um, I should say that Elizabeth and I go back a ways because we had the same um, graduate advisor, Professor Susan Matisoff of Stanford and then later of Berkeley. Uh, so we came out of thinking about things perhaps in in similar ways or at least interest in some similar areas um elizabeth mostly works in the medieval so-called medieval era i work in early modern but even so we look at similar things and we had the great honor and pleasure to do a conference together in honor of our advisor and that was actually the first time we met this was long ago now um because we, I was at Stanford um, as a graduate student way before Elizabeth. So we met doing the conference and we really liked working together. And then um, kind of, you know, the the later history of that other conference and then doing the volume. Um, as far as my research is concerned, as I say, I look uh, mostly at early modern uh, theater um, and um I've done a little bit of work on No, that was something I originally studied, but I uh, later switched into kabuki during my graduate studies, and I'm interested in um, kabuki as a performing art and as a cultural uh, significant part of the Edo period. Um, I look at the printed materials associated with kabuki, so vast number of treatises and printed encyclopedias and and memoirs and well not exactly memoirs but you know ideas about acting that that get recorded often by disciples sometimes by actors themselves um the woodblock prints uh to look at theater history cultural history and in some cases of course details of performance but also the kind of um larger meanings of kabuki in the edo period um which led to some of the questions for this volume.
1: That's wonderful how you get to, after all the years that that, that, that you get, you, you, pass, you pass cross again. So, and uh, Elizabeth, what, what do you work on?
2: Um, I work, I'm, as, as um, Catherine said, I'm a mostly a medievalist and my main focus has been um, Heike Monogatari, the tale of the Heike and things that are connected to it. And I will say, I think one of the, um, one of the, common points that both of our research has is kind of trying to place the things that we work on in larger cultural contexts and in conversation with other things that are, you know, happening at the same time um, and how the things that we're looking at respond to and also, you know, activate um, other kind of interpretations, whether it be, you know, in in the realm of performing arts or you know, in my case, it's mostly in performing arts or with Catherine, you know, kind of going well beyond that into the material culture around Kabuki. And um, and I we're lucky, I feel particularly lucky to have an interlocutor um, like Catherine to kind of, um, who is coming at things, looking at a different set of texts, but, and, you know, practices and a different time period, um, but always comes at is help helps me formulate interesting questions about my own work. Um, kind of in, and I'm looking at an earlier period. I am probably more um, fundamentally invested in things that um, commemorate war. You know, I'm interested in tale of the Heike. The work I've done on No has also been kind of focused on um, plays that are uh, that kind of our reworkings of the tale of the Heike on the no stage. Um, but I'm always, um, I feel very lucky to be able to um, bounce ideas about that um, off with uh, with Catherine. And, you know, really our first experience, as she mentioned, um, was it was, you know, we didn't intersect at Stanford, although it wasn't that that wasn't that many years between when she was there and I was there, but uh, but, we, um, but working on the conference for Susan Matisoff really um, allowed us to see how you know, this kind of collaboration and thinking through things together um, really helps build you know, really interesting projects that draw in lots of ideas and can be really exciting.
1: Yes, I completely agree, and that's wonderful. And uh, I guess we can return to talking about your research um, a bit later. But for now, can you tell us about um, this volume? What does it cover?
2: Um, well, as the uh, the title suggests, cultural imprints. We're looking at the samurai age, and what we want to do with this volume, and what you know our our many contributors are doing as well, is looking at specific responses to and interpretations of the importance of warriors and war and warrior culture in Japanese culture um, from the 13th through the 19th century. So um, in doing that, we're kind of defining a long um, period that we're investigating. um, And we want to think about, or we, you know, our various, the, the authors are all thinking about what it means to be a warrior in, um, for warriors for other members of society looking at warriors um, and in different ways over this long you know this long this seven century seven century long period um, and we're uh, you know fundamentally in our you know in our title we're looking at the samurai age we're looking at what it means to be a samurai um, and also what how different disciplines today treat that concept, um, you know, when they are looking, what, you know, what period they're looking at, what specific kinds of texts they're looking at, or other kinds of documentation they're looking at. So we've got, um, a, a number of, um, where well, we have chapters by, um, historians, by art historians, by theater people, by literature people. So we're, we're, we're looking, um, from a lot of d- different disciplinary, uh, perspectives at kind of remnants of samurai culture um, throughout this 7th century long period.
0: Yes, and I would just uh, add or strengthen the fact that the the various um, materials that our authors are looking at, some of them are looking back. in time and others are concerned with the present. So there's, uh, you know, that that's um, one other um, interesting thing that we found in, in trying to look at the centrality um, of the meanings of the samurai during these 700 years.
1: You mentioned something um, very interesting. So this book, um, The Samurai Age, you mentioned they have focused on the 7th century, but... Um, the Western audience, especially after uh, the Netflix show on the Age of Samurai, probably tend to associate samurai with the war period during the 14th century, the so-called Sengoku period. So, what's what's going on? Why is there such a confusion? Which one is the actual samurai age?
2: <laughs> right. So that's you know that's it's that's certainly if you asked our students too, it's not only that, but it's you know. What does a samurai look like in a video game, or what, you know, so or in a or in an anime, um, and so you know the the you know this concept of the samurai right is something that is really important, and we all have an image whether you're in Japan or whether you're in another country. Like the idea of the samurai is is something that is coherent, but of course we as you know scholars of Japan know that what it meant to be a samurai and the existence of samurai wasn't just this moment in time during the Sengoku period, during the, during the Warring States period, but it, you know, it's, it has its roots in the Heian period and it has these manifestations that occur in what we call the medieval period and the, you know, from the Kamakura through the Muromachi period. And and then we have the the Warring States period and then, then samurai is a codified class um, in the Tokugawa period. So what we, what we decided to do was look at how this period during which warriors were, you know, putatively or real in reality kind of dominating the political and in many cases, social spheres, um, and see how that that concept of the samurai changes over time, um, what pieces of it kind of cohere and kind of morph in ways that keep some consistency over the the stretch of those seven hundred years, um, but you know, but exploring not you know exploring the multiplicity and the you know the differences and the very kind of complex things that could be called part of samurai culture. You know everything from um, a robe that is used in a no play to um, somebody's letters, right? (laughs) That how these um, demonstrate, you know, they they explore different aspects of what it meant to be a samurai. And we're looking at works that are by members of the warrior class, or patronized by members of the warrior class, or by people who are outside of the warrior class at these various times. So, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is complicate the idea of these kind of medieval versus early modern idea of the samurai, because there's so much, you know, there's, there's so much change that happens over that, that, that time, um, that period of time. And, uh, you, you know, and, and yet acknowledge that, it, so we're acknowledging for the one, on the one hand, that there is the, you know, a, an idea of a warrior and a, the word samurai associated with it, but that that changes over, that changes over time, um, not only at the, you know, the moment when, you know, medieval gives way to early modern, um, which is, you know, and we do look at the complexity of that moment in this volume, um, but also during the medieval period and over the course of the the Tokugawa period.
0: Catherine, would you like to add something? I would just like to add that um, one of the things that we worked with here was that um, we, we've expanded, we're, we're calling... The samurai age, something very, very long. Uh, at, but at the same time, we're as we argue for that, we're trying to break down a kind of, you know, one idea about what samurai are, as you said in your question. Um, and so that was always something we had to work with, getting, you know, arguing for a longer period, but at the same time arguing against any kind of ahistorical idea of what the warrior is, which we felt was best done by looking at these different, so-called imprints and also best done through interdisciplinarity as elizabeth just said so that we can kind of multi perspectives and multi um methodologies would help cut away at any kind of um, you know one way of looking at samurai
1: so i absolutely loved the interdisciplinary approach throughout this whole book and i want to talk about this cultural imprint um, concept more Um, So what kind of practices do you look at in this discussion of cultural imprints? And I guess, um, echoing what you said earlier about your interest in war, um, how did you, I guess, um, how did you settle down on this discussion of the imprints of war on cultural practices of the 7th century and a bit uh, afterwards as well?
0: Uh, Well, War, because what we discover is that war matters over the entire long period. Um, Warriors are actually fighting uh, before the end of the 16th century, but um, and they're not fighting once you get into the 17th century or soon into the 17th century. So there's you know, we it looks very different on the surface, um, but what we found was that memory of war is something that goes throughout It starts um, actually very early you know with the where warrior identity in the early medieval era is shaped by narrative arts um, and cultural depictions then um, are very critical all the way through uh, they change dramatically in the tokugawa period they kind of narrow to more of an ideal that gets solidified, again, often through cultural practices, performing arts, literary works, um, oral narrative continuing from the medieval period. Um, And so I think in terms of your question of why war, because war really is central the whole time, whether it's being fought or not. Um, The imprints that we have chosen, we use this work cultural imprints um, and we it, it was a term that we that that you know kind of was there in the original conference and became really important when we thought about the volume um, and the idea is that these are you know in each case a specific focus so specific but very cultural practices not just the different methodologies and looking at them but the practices themselves um, all trying to focus on war and memory. Um, we, I think, we defined it as traces. We use the word traces that that hold specific um, historical meanings, but that also continue through time. So the something like the tale of the Heike, it, it's it goes back to the earliest part of our long period that we're looking at, and yet it goes all the way through and it's um so so we we try to follow that so this idea of cultural imprints was important to us any anything that has left that trace a practice or something that leaves a trace that then has uh conti- it's not just a trace and it's sitting there but somehow continues to have an effect um so we had the idea that you needed a range of practices um even within uh, four of the essays or chapters address performing arts, but even within that, they they are very different uh, kinds of orientations um, in terms of what the what the authors are doing. Um, so again, we go from kind of specific memories and commemoration um, for individual war dead in, in a kind of religious context um, to um, the, you know, getting into getting as time goes by, shifting to in, to kind of perceived experiences, um, and the challenges, um, that warriors faced, especially in the Tokugawa period, um, for reasons that I've mentioned, and also where their experiences become a kind of community experience. They get shared on a wider level than just among samurai themselves. Um, you know, a couple examples of this, you know, why do we, why do we think we need these cultural imprints, um, to learn about the samurai age or to understand our samurai age? Um, I think that we found that the, if we have an, a range of practices, um, that it, it helps kind of set down the idea a little bit, just to highlight a couple of the chapters in the book, um. Monica Beita wrote uh, one of the essays, which is very oriented towards something material. This essay is called "In Memorandum: Dragonflies and Drums," and she's looking at a at a garment worn by an important figure in in, um, in No in the 15th century, um, in connection with a performance that was dedicated to the repose of a recently deceased shogun so of course somebody of the samurai class and what's interesting is that she kind of contextualizes the use of the robe it was a robe um, in no that is used for um, the performance of a particular rite uh, called the kanon Sembo. and she traces this robe from first being a warrior costume then to being a monk's robe um then back to the secular world of performance, which is that performance that she talks about. And then it gets, um, in a sense, re-ritualized through this um, incorporation of the rite into the play um, in a variant practice, in memory of a deceased warrior. So, So much can be told just through tracing that. Um, Just one other of our our contributors, Andrew Goebel, who writes an essay called Memento Mori, Mori Warriors, Manasseh Physicians, and the New Medico-Cultural Nexus of the 16th Century. And he's looking at the relationship between warriors and other cultural figures, in this case, um, a, a, a family of um, physicians. And he looks at their correspond, correspondence um, and other documents. And um He's looking at how individuals position themselves and their families at a time when the future was very uncertain. Because this is really kind of when you're in this period when, with Hideyoshi and the, the, all the sort of all those terrible wars going on at the end of the 16th century. So these are just a couple examples of some of our so-called imprints and what they can illuminate, and why we felt that. Um, to understand the summary age at its various junctures, dipping down, as, as it were, to, you know, put our feet on the ground at various points and and try to see what's going on.
2: Um, and if I could just um, add something to that um Uh, thinking of one of the other essays that we have in the collection. And this one is by Marimi Tateno. And it is entitled, let me look at the title, Hideyoshi and Okuni's Kabuki, Memories Preserved in a Screen Painting. Um, This is another, several of these have wonderful, wonderful images in the the book itself. We're really lucky to have um, really good images. Uh, And this is, you know, she's looking at a screen painting that is generally used to think about early kabuki and okuni performing kabuki but she's really making um an argument for its um actual the 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 circumstances of its um production um and she like other scholars before her you know see one of the viewers in the stand as hideyoshi and then she builds an argument by kind of a very careful dete- art, you know, art historical detective work, um, to pose that this was probably a memorial painting, um, and when you when you look at this as something that is intended to commemorate Hideyoshi and be a memorial um, for people close to him, that also um, situates him. And, you know, he's at one of these really important turning points between the medieval period and the early modern period. And he, um, he in this painting, appears to be kind of a samurai of the medieval period, someone who is, um, in as a warrior in power, looking towards the aristocracy and aristocratic practice for legitimation. Um, and yet um, he's in his you know, his very modern finery, and he's also in this situation where he is embracing this new sort of theater that is emerging, and so so we see him in this material object, the screen um, that is commemorative, it's a memorial sort of um, text in itself, um, looking to a whole lot of different ways that Samurai, the word Samurai or you know the conception of a Samurai leader um, carries meaning both you know at the peer, at the moment during which he lived, also the moment in which the painting was made, which was shortly after his death, and then for the generations that appreciated it moving through the Tokugawa period and beyond.
1: I'm so glad you uh, brought up this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the entire book. Um, I should also clarify uh, for our listeners that I misspoke earlier. It's the 17th century, not the 7th century. The 7th century in Japan did not have warriors. Um, They had other things, but not the warriors. So yes, it's the 17th century. But uh, returning to what Catherine was saying earlier, so this uh, focus of memory um, is quite central in this volume. How do the chapters speak to the roles of memory in various contexts
0: covered in the chapters? uh yes um I, I think that we um brought in uh, uh um, how how do the chapters speak to the roles of memory I'm sorry um well each chapter is looking at the role of memorializing or memory in make in sense making or um in in how remembering and forgetting, um, what are their causes and what are, uh, what are their consequences? Um, so this, this is in large part, we borrow on some of the ideas in memory studies. Um, and we look at ideas of collective memory of collective frameworks, um, looking at which, 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 prompt us to to sort of reconstruct images from the past um, in terms of what they mean in the present. Um, the idea of um, exploring kind of the motives and circulation of cultural memory um, and how it can produce a sense of a community, a, a sense of kind of unity in a community or in a group. And so we are you know, looking at at how these ideas of the samurai evolve or, um, what they mean at any given time, but how the, what coalesces around them, um, in terms of, uh, sort of defining a culture or a time period. So we look at, I guess we could also say memories, how it functions to negotiate, um, the actual realities of the present with the kind of perceived roles of the samurai um, at different temporal points. So what's the interrelationship, in other words, between actual realities and perceived realities um, at any given point, and then a kind of trajectory over time of how that may evolve um, in various ways and and what the power of it is. Um, And a a couple of the papers, if we go back to the papers themselves, illustrate that in very different ways. People really did, you know, back to this idea that we have very different approaches and, um, you know, we only have nine chapters, uh, and that's not a lot, uh, to do this giant thing that we're, we're, um, we're trying to do of so many years and so many disciplines and so many, you know, very different kinds of materials. Um, so, you know, this was a, a, Part of what we had to think about, um, but just to give a couple examples again, um, Tom Hare uh, writes um, in in his he's looking at um, the at, at words in particular, for example, and representing memory in the warrior plays. Um, that he looks at the vocabulary of memory and of remembering in five no plays that all have central ghost figures. So. You know, to begin with, these are ghost figures, so memory has to be at the center. And he's exploring who remembers and why they remember, especially in the play Tomonaga, the same one that um, Monica Beta focused on, Uh, and pointing to the complexity and the ambiguous nature of memory in No. And this was one of the interesting things. You know, they both looked at the same play. Out of nine chapters, two people are looking at the same one no play, although uh, Professor Hare also, you know, does put his uh, in with four others to bring out what's special in Tomonaga. Um, but the approaches, as you can see, are so completely different that they bring up very different issues. Um, Alison Tokita looks at musical substyles in narrative arts, and so she's looking at memory from a slightly different standpoint. She's looking, um, you know, these narrative arts that are called katarimono uh, and especially Heike, um, Tale of the Heike Recitation and some dance ballads uh, called ko-aka. Um So she's mostly, th- these are all medieval forms, um, but she also looks in the Tokugawa period and what's happening uh, with these as time goes by. And she's exploring the idea that the formula and Musical substyles that are used for specific kinds of narrative content, um, and in this case, she focuses on content related to war, um, enhance the memorability of the narratives and their impact. And so um, she's looking at, you know, what these musical substyles did to make their, to bring their points, to the listeners to create, to bring those memories into the present, but also to, you know, to not just to bring them into the present, but to kind of bring them alive in the present to feel them. So these are very different ways in which people have approached the idea of memory, of memory related to warfare, and what um, the ways in which memory um, continues to to have a role in how we perceive our world. Yeah, and I I
2: think it's, um, you know, thinking about ways that um, several chapters kind of talk to each other. Um, We also have Catherine's chapter, which looks at kabuki in the 18th century. So, you know, we're solidly into the Tokugawa period here, and she is looking at um, performance practice in the form of monogatari monologues and kudoki, which are laments, in the context, which are you know very closely related to the kinds of um, narrative practices that Alison Tokita talks about in in her uh, essay, and you know the way that the idea of samurai and gender and gendered samurai identity, and she can talk about this more eloquently than I can, but you know, but in, but how that gets re- gets created on the kabuki stage. Um, and is a representation of things that go all the way back to the idea of, you know, early samurai and samurai identity. And some of the plays that she's looking at are plays that talk about, you know, the Genpei War. You know, so these, this is yet again another place where um, kind of the, the layers of interpretation um, and transformation in the context of a very different kind of on the ground reality on the kabuki stage in the 18th century with all of the kind of um, the, the 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 material culture around it, including, you know, monogatari being being, um, you know, available for people to read. Um, it just it's a it's a very it's, it's a very formative moment in taking very kind of specific representations and in some cases very conventional but also you know reflecting a kind of tension in the in the current um moment um that that you know that give an identity to samurai for a particular and large audience um and then you've got something completely different, like Luke Roberts' engagement with a set of documents that very kind of very specifically and locally, they're looking at the Tosa domain, you know, look at two different, you know, the the documents of of two important samurai families, one that was defeated and one that was put in place, um, you know, and how, you know how samurai identity is articulated in them, you know, in relation to each other, and then eventually kind of as a larger unit, a larger local unit. So, you know, you have this idea of local identity formation that also has, you know, has um, resonances as you get into the larger contexts over time.
1: Absolutely. And all these um, different perspectives make this volume so rich. Um, It's, um, It's a shame that we can't have other um, authors joining us today, but now that you two are here, I guess I can ask you questions about your own chapters. So I guess let's start with uh, Elizabeth. Your chapter focuses on medieval period narratives and their use of the poetic trope of East, which is such a... I I read about it all the time in early modern literature, but I never realized this trope. So how did the meaning? Or nuance of the East transform, and how do these transformations reflect the cultural context of the time?
2: Okay, well, I'm looking at a text that is from the 13th century. I think it may be the earliest text that we look at in the you know in the volume. I um um and so it's you know so it's looking at a. It's written relatively shortly after the Genpei War. It's also immediately after the Jokyu. Rebellion. So, so this is it's a it's a moment that it in which things are really transforming, and that's my argument, is that um, the idea of the East, the Azuma, this this space that is out there away from the capital, this space that is the place from which, you know, the the Minamoto rise and you know eventually set up the 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 um, headquarters in Kamakura, um, becomes a meaningful it is has always been kind of conceptualized as something beyond the pale, something that is um, not culturally relevant. But once we have, you know, culturally relevant actors situated there, that um, that it, it, that we're, there's a transformation of the idea of, you know, what it, you know, th- th- those, those actors or the people t- writing about them, in this case, it's a, you know, it's a memoirist from the from the capital, who travels to Kamakura and comes back, but you know the idea that this is a this is now a meaningful place and um, it it's it's it can it has its own stature as a place from which a, a voice can can emanate um, and so that's the kind of general uh, topic that I'm exploring here and looking at this through you know a set of poetic exchanges um, in Kaidoki, which is the memoir I look at um, that then seemed to be um, particularly resonant in The Tale of the Heike, which, although it describes a somewhat earlier moment, was written somewhat later.
1: So it's Fascinating. A- yeah, I really I really like that chapter. Um, but, of course, I'm a literature person, too. Uh, so for Catherine, uh, we talked about your chapter a time a little bit, but in the examination of mid to late 18th century Kabuki theater, how do different types of works portray anguish differently? Now, now we're talking kind of uh, the results of the influences of war. What? Why do you think they differ in different types of
0: plays in such a way? Uh, yes, thank you for the question. Um, I, I, I think uh, to answer the question, I guess we have to think about the uh, – about gender about time period and about genre actually so i in the 18th century plays that i look at which are all plays which are plays derived from the puppet theater and they're the genre of um so called period plays G damono um uh, the, in those plays i'm looking at uh, as elizabeth said earlier two um subsection, shall we say, two sections, uh, one called monogatari, which, of course, is a term that goes way back um, and, and is, a, is something that can be included in many different literary um, forms, and kudoki, similarly, that's, that, that's also true. And so we're looking at how monogatari and kudoki are um, adapted into kabuki um, most immediately through the puppet theater, but um, from many earlier forms as well. And so uh, for these, what we find is um, they're not portraying anguish differently. Um, They're actually portraying it very um, consistently for each gender. So the monogatari is is performed by male characters. Um, The kudoki is performed by female characters. And the the ways in which they are acted out and the ways in which um, they are expressing their anguish um, are very consistent, actually, uh, within these 18th century plays. And so um, the anguish is, in both cases is a response to the demands of, of samurai ideals, which by the time we get into the 18th century, you know, we're in our second to last century of these these many 700 years um, the these ideals have really been exaggerated uh, for a variety of reasons but very very strongly and so um, the experiences that these characters have have been somewhat codified and so the men are using are looking back to um, a, a traumatic moment that has defined everything since and that will affect how they move forward. The women seem to be, or the female characters, I should say, seem to be stuck in, in in this present. They didn't experience that. They're experiencing something as we watch them, which is learning usually, at least in the main highlighted case I discuss, that a, their own child has been sacrificed for another. They They don't they don't argue with the reasons for the sacrifice, but here they have just discovered it. And this we're seeing their response. So there's really not a past, or, um, or almost there's not a future for them either. In many ways, they're right in the present. So they, these kinds of characters experience anguish very differently, but male and female characters, very similar. Then when we get into the 19th century, I look at a few other things, uh, dance plays and dance dramas Um and explore some of those differences. So again, we've moved time, we've moved genre, uh, and and we're not responding anymore exactly to the samurai ideals in these ultra dramatic, you know, just horribly wrenching ways. Um, often it's more about love or other kinds of issues. So um, I think those are some answers to your wonderful question.
1: Yes, and for more answers, I guess our listeners will just have to read your chapter. Now, to broaden this conversation a bit, um, although this volume covers mostly narratives and performance, um, and and some historical documents, of course, how do these chapters echo um, broader conversations about cultural identity, national identity, and I guess my personal interest, cultural historiography, um, both within and outside of the field of Japanese studies?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of, you know, the, the big question is, um, what, you know, what does it mean to be, what does samurai mean to whom and when and for what purposes? And what do you do with that once, you know, once you've decided what landed on a uh, an answer? And of course, what I think we are arguing is that um, on the one hand, there is something there, right, that that. That continues through time, and at the same time, it isn't a mon- It really isn't a monolithic thing, and there are all of these different, um, different ways that that is experienced, conceptualized, and you know, I think we are arguing for embracing that complexity while at the same time allowing the term to have meaning. And I mean, I think that many of the, and this is um, probably a facile way to explain it, but we, you know, many of the essays are looking at a set of terms like samurai like monogatari or like azuma or like kidan in the case of um uh will fleming's article that 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 have multiple meanings right and that we'd like to to allow space for that and and give specific interpretations that allow that Invite us in to um, to uh, understand those specific meanings, while at the same time allowing the term to stand overall. So, you know, we are looking at the cultural identity of the samurai over time, and we are arguing that there is something that can be um, can be looked at meaningfully in the way it develops. Um, you know, in the in the idea that um, the samurai is a kind of Uh, invented tradition is, you know, is, is, um, is something that that has been put forward lots of times, but it's, you know, but it's not just that it's an invented tradition, it's something that does go back, right? It's something that developed, that developed not just in the Tokugawa period, but over the course of the, the, you know, really from, at least from the Genpei War period forward. um, And that, you know, the, the medieval incarnations affect later incarnations affect later incarnations. And these, you know, these, you know, you're proto-national by the time you get to the Tokugawa period, probably, um, but you're not quite national. But, um, but there is a cultural identity and it's a cultural identity that is that does kind of is is kind of. Um, being formed around ideas that can become national. Now, for example, in Will Fleming's article, he's looking at um, Qidan. He's looking at stories of the strange, and they always there's this kind of China is always a presence there. Many of the stories come from they have Chinese antecedents, um, but they're reframed. But there's you know, but there's there's this idea that there is. China there that this is a response to, and it's, you know, and not necessarily a fully a response to, but there's, there's an idea of China that is being formulated in the eyes of writers in Japan, which is also creating uh, Japan to be looking at China. And so that's, you know, so there, there are, um, you know, kind of seeds of, of national identity and the kind of cultural identities that are being formed um, in in the in the text that we're looking at.
0: And uh Yu, I know that you're particularly interested in cultural historiography. Um I think uh we would say that I think you know cultural history uh, neither of us are historians but um you know if we say that cultural history is the examination of um records, documents, descriptions of, um, what has happened in the past that, 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 you know, cover, uh, that, that try to look at, um, uh, uh at, at, some kind of phenomena over time, then certainly that's what we're doing. Um, so we could say that, that cultural history is a method of inquiry that, that it generally informs, um, our volume, um. You could also say that, you know, cultural studies, which is something that started fairly specific um, in England in the 1960s, but moved into something much broader. Uh, My own department is called East Asian Languages and Cultural Studies. But um, it's certainly not the original idea of cultural studies for the most part. So, but the kind of way the term functions and circulates now, um, you know, the, the, again, the study of cultural phenomena um, and um, looking at, at how, they, how different things, uh, what their meanings are um, as certain phenomena um, circulate. Uh, you could say that that's a kind of framework for our scholarship as well. So these kind of, I think many people are, you know, looking in these kinds of frameworks uh, in, in terms of what they look at. And one of the challenges of the volume was to really produce um, scholarship that would speak to each of the disciplines that our members, uh, you know, our contributors um, represent um, so really to be true to their disciplines, but at the same time, under these broader frameworks, um, be able to speak to uh, others um, outside of their fields um, and a range of kinds of readers. So I would say that um, those were our goals, and hopefully we, we met some of them. I for one certainly thank you met um, all of
1: those goals that you mentioned. But um, thank you, um, thank you for what you said about c- cultural historiography, and thank you for um, taking your precious time to join us on this channel today. Thank
2: you. Thank you <laughs> so much. A pleasure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> thank you. And for our listeners to read more about samurai and how wars were perceived by medieval and early modern people, make sure to check out Cultural Imprints, War and Memory in the Samurai Age by Elizabeth Euler and Catherine Saltzman-Lee. This is Jingyi from New Books in Japanese Studies, and I will see you soon.